Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 74th program in this series. In this program, I'm finishing up some thoughts with regards to John chapter 13, the end of John chapter 13. One of the things that I was explaining in the previous message was that Peter experienced change over time. And one of the ways of understanding this change is to see that at the end of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus was captured, Peter denied Jesus three times. This was expressed in verse 38. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And so Jesus tells him that he's not so impressed by what Peter has to say with regards to his devotion because Jesus knows that by morning, Peter is going to deny him three times. Now, we know in the history of the church that Peter was eventually killed for his faith. We have history regarding this. So there was a change that took place between this moment in Peter's life and at the end of Peter's life. And we don't know when that change may have occurred. Peter may not know when that change occurred. What we do know was that there was a difference between this point in his life and the end of his life when he was not willing to deny Jesus. This is what we know. And what I wanted to point out is that Jesus walked with Peter, Peter walked with Jesus, they were together in the flesh for several years, but even though they were together in the way that they were, Peter denied Jesus the next morning after this conversation. But then many years passed when Jesus was not physically present with Peter. Peter was living his life here on earth without the physical presence of Jesus. And while he was doing this, God did a work in his heart. He experienced change and growth and maturity that could be measured in the way that I described in terms of him being willing to die for his faith. But this happened much later. I also want to point out that this did not happen while Peter was in heaven. This change did not happen then. This is something that happened while he was here on this earth, in this world, physically alive. And my point in explaining this and in spending so much time with this is to emphasize the issue that our lives here are important. And how we use our time here is important. And how we grow in our relationship with God 
during this time while we are waiting until we physically die is important that here we have tremendous opportunities we have opportunities that will not exist when we go to heaven what this means is is that there are changes that can occur within us while we are here that are not likely going to occur when we are in heaven and so the time we have here the life that we have here will shape a lot about who we are and who we will be in the future who we will be in heaven and this should be emphasized because of course there are a lot of people who just simply believe that we just believe the gospel and we wait until we physically die and go to heaven because that's when all of the change is going to be experienced that's when we are going to become a different person than who we are now but that is not what i see in this example in this example there is definitely something to be said about the importance of us being here the importance of what god has created the importance of us living our lives while we are here and growing in a relationship with him while we are here and so i just wanted to take the opportunity to emphasize this again at the beginning of this program but now going back to verse 34 in john chapter 13 verse 34 jesus gives the new commandment a new commandment i give to you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one another now in the previous message i emphasized the point that we need a definition for love we we need a definition for this and i'm not going to give a complete formal definition of what that is because this is something that we all grow to understand on our own individually a little bit at a time i can testify of it i can speak about my understanding of the love of god but it's important for you to grow in your own knowledge and understanding of the love of god and of course it needs to be consistent with what we do know that is available to us in the scriptures now in the previous message i was emphasizing the issue that regardless of what this definition is we are not going to be able to fulfill it to the satisfaction of god in the sense that we can say that we have obeyed the commandment and so whatever definition a person comes up with there will always be an opportunity to fail and to violate this commandment now he does not give us a penalty for violating this commandment and i think this is important to recognize that there is no penalty and from my knowledge and understanding of god I would suggest that this is because he knew we wouldn't obey it anyway. And so what's the point in giving a penalty because if he did, everyone would violate it and everyone would experience the penalty. So this is going to be stated for a different reason. This commandment is going to be given by Jesus for a different purpose than for us to actually comply and obey the commandment. There will have to be a different reason. What we do know is that Jesus was teaching the covenant that was in effect at this time and that was the old covenant. And one of the purposes of the old covenant was to show us that we could not obey the commandments of God, 
to his satisfaction. And this is important because we will eventually see that there is no hope in being right with God outside of his grace and mercy. That we will require his mercy, his grace. We will require his forgiveness. This is probably the most important reason as to why God gave the law, why he gave the commandments, was so that we would understand our need for his forgiveness. And this could simply be another opportunity for his disciples to see that they have a need for forgiveness. It could be that they had the opinion or they had the belief that they were compliant with the law of Moses enough. And so Jesus gives them, well, let's just add one more. Let's add one more commandment. How about if you guys love each other like I have loved you? Let's see if you can do that one. Let's add that one to the 613. We can call this the 614th commandment, perhaps. And maybe this will get you to understand that you need to be forgiven that there is no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God. This is one of the ways that we could understand what he said here. He leaves it open-ended enough that we are left with the need to have a further explanation of some kind, and this is one possibility. I think it's reasonable to suggest this, especially because he refers back to how he has already loved them how he has loved them up to date. From that point of view, it's reasonable to consider that this is just another way for him to emphasize the point that they have a need for forgiveness. Now, when he dies for the sins of the world, it is at that time that they are forgiven. And then shortly after that, after his resurrection, he resurrects them by giving them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and dwells within his believers, and through that indwelling presence of the life of God, they are made spiritually alive. They are born again by the Spirit of God. They are made into a new creation. And this is in accordance with the New Covenant. The New Covenant goes into effect after he dies, For the sins of the world, he will no longer hold the world's sins against them. He will forgive them and remember them no more. Now there will be a new relationship based on a different definition. And the different definition is the new covenant. It begins with being made into a new creation in Christ Jesus, being made into a completely different person, a living person, because you are resurrected and made spiritually alive. When this happens, the way that he will relate to us will be different. He will not relate to us on the basis of sin and obedience and repentance and commandments like he did under the old covenant. He will not relate to us in the same way. There will now be a different way that he relates to us. It doesn't mean that he has to live in some form of denial of reality to suggest that there is no existence of sin anymore. 
But because of his forgiveness that he has provided, there's no reason for him to hold those sins against us. He can still relate to us in the context of our sin, have conversations with us about it, have discussions, encourage us to stop doing those things. There are lots of opportunities for him to relate to us with a sense of sober-minded reality, not a sense of a denial of the reality of who we are and the fact that we are in a state of growth and change. That in and of itself expresses the fact that we are definitely not perfect, not in that context, because if we were, then the change would be meaningless. We could say that we are already in a state of existence such that there is no need for change, because if there was then the deviation would be a change from the present state of perfection, which means by definition we become imperfect. So there's a whole argument that can evolve from that and a whole new theological discussion that can erupt from these kinds of things. I don't think that that would be a good use of our time. What I want you to see, though, is that there will be a difference between how he relates to people before the crucifixion and resurrection, and how he relates to people after the crucifixion and the resurrection, that there is an old covenant and then there is a new covenant and they are not the same. The new covenant is not like the old. And so in verse 34, when he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, as I have loved you that you also love one another, we could suggest that this is going to expire soon when he dies for the sins of the world. I personally don't think that there is some kind of expiration in that context such that there is now no longer any value in verse 34 for our lives because what I do know is that as we grow and change, we will have an increase in love towards others. I do know that that there will be a change in our hearts as we grow and mature in our faith, this change will occur and there will be an increase in the love that we have for others. So how could this commandment be compatible with the change and growth that we experience over time? Well, again, there is no penalty that's given here for the violation So all that I am left with is an admonition to allow this to take place. That's what I have left. All that I have left to work with is that God is going to do a work in my heart. He is going to do something within me such that I will have an increase in love towards others. As this happens, don't resist it. So as the years have gone by in my life and I have experienced these changes in my heart, I just simply don't fight it. I don't resist it. I say, well, if this is what God has done within me, so be it. Let it be. And I will be thankful and I will give to others the love that God has given to me. So here in verse 34, he refers to the love that he shared with the disciples between the time that he met them and the time when he said this. But my personal interaction with him is after these events. 
and the way that he has loved me is different than the way that he loved them. And I have received the love that he has shared with me. I certainly could have received it a lot more than I did. I'm confident that I resisted a lot of his love over the years. But what I have received and what I have rested in and what I have embraced and accepted is something that has made a change within me as a person. And a consequence of that has been that I have had love to share with others on occasion. And when the opportunities have presented themselves, and I have been compelled by the Spirit of God within me to love others with the love that He has given to me, there have been times when I have not resisted that work of God within and through me. Now, when this has happened, what takes place is that God, by default, He loves others within and through me. Now, it's possible that maybe on occasion people have noticed that, but that is not my concern, and it's not really theirs either so much. This is a work that God has done within and through me, through the transaction of me resting in his love for me and him giving me something that I have given to someone else. Now, through these transactions, through these experiences, there have been opportunities for people to see that this is a manifestation of the love of God, especially if they might know me personally a little bit better than others. They might notice that that is not necessarily coming from me. But that is a manifestation of God and the work that he has done within me, through me, to them. And when this happens, this is a chance for them to see the testimony of the truth of the existence of the reality and of the participation of the true and living God in our lives and in their life at that moment, right then and there, they could see that there is a God, that there is. And through that confrontation and through that conviction that the Holy Spirit of God might very well remind them of, through that, they will have an opportunity themselves to turn to their God, not to me, but to turn to their God for the love that he has for them. And this is what we experience through the new covenant. Continuing into John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, through that transaction that I just described, there could be the witness and the testimony of ourselves. There is also perhaps the witness and testimony of God, as this is a divine experience. And so in that way, yes, there are opportunities for people to see and people to know that we are his disciples. And through that revelation, it is possible that they also might want to become his disciples. 
But there is a potential problem that could evolve through a verse such as this. What happens when we don't? What happens when we don't love one another? Well, then it could be suggested that all will know, or some will know, or some will see, or some will believe that we are not his disciples. So what would that mean? That would mean that the people in the world are the ones who are going to confirm or validate that we are his disciples or not. They are the ones who are going to decide if we are legitimate disciples or maybe each other, right? Maybe just those of us who are Christians, those of us who are believers, we evaluate each other to decide. Gosh, you know, I'm not sure that you are truly his disciple because you are not loving like I think you should, especially towards me, especially towards each other. And so clearly you are not a disciple. And you might think this is this is inappropriate. And it is. But this is what happens. This is what people do. People in the world will then use this as a way to pass judgment on believers, judgment on people who are genuine disciples of the Lord Jesus. And and people who are genuine disciples of the Lord Jesus will pass judgment on other disciples and say that they are not legitimate disciples because they are not loving like they should love. Let me give you a really good example. There are some people who are quite immature, who still relate to others in a negative way. And so what would happen if you have a Christian who decides, who makes a decision to hurt a fellow believer, to hurt them in whatever way, maybe tell a lie about them or accuse them of perhaps doing something that they didn't do? There are lots of ways that people can hurt someone else. So let's assume that an event like this happens, and then what happens with the person who was hurt? What happens if they decide to protest, and they say, you know what? I don't approve of that. I don't like that. I am not going to accept that. What you did is wrong, and I am not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to just pretend that this didn't happen. I'm not going to ignore this. I am going to state clearly that this is wrong. Well, then the person who did the violation can now respond with, oh, I don't know. I don't think you're a legitimate disciple because you're not loving me as God would love me. You're not forgiving me. Or you're not pretending, you're not living in a denial of reality and pretending as if I did nothing because I don't think I really did anything. This happens all the time. This is always happening, it seems, with people that I know and myself. This is not unusual. This is a normal part of the relationships that people have with each other. And I do not think that this is what Jesus had in mind when he said this in verse 35 that this is now going to be a way that we can pass judgment on each other and say whether a person is a true disciple or not. I don't think that this is what he had in mind. 
at all. But this is what tends to take place. And among the unbelievers, they will often use this as a way of rejecting Jesus, of rejecting God. They'll say things like, well, obviously God does not exist because look at you. You did not tolerate the violation that I committed against you or the violation that somebody else did. You are not loving your brethren. You are not loving your brothers, your sisters like you ought to. And so... Maybe there is no God at all, or if there is, you definitely don't know him. This is what goes on a lot, and this is not what Jesus intended when he said this. This was a way that Jesus expressed to his disciples that they would be a witness, a living testimony of him and of the true and living God, and that this is a good thing. And so when he does a work in their hearts such that they will love others more than they did before, that they will love others with the love that God has given them, when this happens, there will be an opportunity for people to see a witness and a testimony of the living God. Thank you for listening. This is the 74th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, when Jesus gave the disciples a commandment that they are to love one another. And he mentioned that this was a way that people would know that they were his disciples if they were to love one another. And so in this program, I explained some of the difficulties that a person could run into if they are trying to love others as God has loved them. And if they fail, how will they be judged by other people, and what could that mean in their lives? This conversation was the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples between the Passover meal, the last Passover meal, and the time when he was arrested. This was the beginning of this conversation, and in the next program, I will continue into John chapter 14. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,